0: I think this is uh, this is either my third or fourth year uh, serving as a full-time pastor on uh, on Mother's Day, and it's also going to be the first time that I, that I actually preach a Mother's Day sermon. I've I've never preached a Mother's Day sermon before, and uh, I don't know really, you know, why why I've never done that. I guess there's probably a, re- a number of reasons. You know, Mother's Day Mother's Day's really not a Christian holiday. It's not on the Christian calendar. It's it's a it's a secular holiday that we've kind of you know. Absorbed into our church services over the years, over the decades, which is which is perfectly fine. Um, you know, we honor our moms on the second—I think it's the second Sunday of May every year—and uh, I just never, I just never, <clears throat> you know, with everything else that we did in the service, I just kind of never felt led to preach on that particular subject. Another reason, though, um, is that Mother's Day is not a happy time for everybody, and I recognize this. This is, like I said, this is my third or fourth as being a full-time pastor, but it's also my fifth. Mother's Day since my mom has died, uh, up to this point, uh, this, is the, this, is, this is the first Mother's Day that at this point in the service I haven't broke down to tears yet. Uh, so I recognize that. I recognize that it's a celebratory time for a lot of people. For a lot of people, it's not a celebratory time because a lot of us have lost our moms. A lot of us didn't have good relationships with our moms, some of us. Some of us might have had hostile relationships with our mothers or no relationships whatsoever. The thought of our moms might bring up you know ideas of, of, uh, of you know high emotions of of uh, resentments and that type of thing, so you just have to, you know you, I've always been kind of weary about uh, weary about that, and I've always tried to be very conscientious of that at the same time, for whatever reason though know, I just felt like God was leading me to to speak on the on the, on, the, on moms today and uh, so I, I hope that he will utilize this time just to, to fulfill his purpose. I have no doubt whatsoever that he will um, The purpose of this, basically, is to speak to and to honor the beautiful and the honorable role of motherhood, and it is a beautiful and honorable role. The Bible speaks of motherhood on many, many occasions. It gives many, many references to the role of women and to the role of moms, both as vital leaders in their homes, vital faith leaders in their homes, and also as vital faith leaders in general, vital faith leaders in their churches, vital faith leaders in their communities. We're going to look at a passage from the book of Proverbs real quick. I'm sure if you have been in the church any amount of time whatsoever, you probably recognize this. If you've ever been to a Mother's Day service uh, at any church, at some point in your life, you have probably probably seen this this part this portion of Scripture before. Uh, but it comes out of Proverbs chapter 31, verses 25 through 31. Probably the most quoted Scripture reference in churches across the United States this morning, anyway. So starting in verse 25, Proverbs 31, she is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom. Faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and they call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but she surpassed them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done. Let her works praised be praise, bring her praise at the city gate. That's the word of God for the people of God. So the best, that's that you all probably have noticed. If, you, if, you, if you're looking at a Bible, if you're looking at a physical Bible, you'll probably notice that's the last chapter in the book of Proverbs. That's how Proverbs concludes. It concludes with this picture of this wife and this mom who is just overflowing with some wonderful, wonderful attributes, attributes of wisdom, attributes of of, of compassion, attributes of strength, all of which are grounded in what? All of which are grounded in her strong faith and deep reverence and deep affection for God. She's dignified. She's wise. She is a teacher to her family. Her children and her spouse adore her. She is a person who fears the Lord and who deserves our honor. Now here's the thing. We don't know if this was written about a specific woman or not. We don't know if the author of this was talking about a very specific mom, very specific wife or not, or if it's just kind of addressing the idea of motherhood as a whole. Regardless, what we get is this gorgeous portrayal, this gorgeous portrayal of a mom who has a deep faith in God, All of these attributes, all of these attributes that I just named, all of these attributes that we just read here in the scriptures that flow out of her, that flow because of what? Because of that deep, deep, deep faith that she has in God. What's the picture of the woman that you get up here? Let me tell you what you don't see. You don't get a picture of weakness, you don't get a picture of a woman who is subservient. We don't get a picture of a woman again who is who, who is weak. Clearly, this is a person who is is strong and is admired for multiple reasons. This is a person of strong character. This is a person who is in all regards a leader. A leader, the character of biblical womanhood, and that's what I want to talk to you guys about today. I don't want to talk to you guys about the role. Of our wives and our moms, specifically in the roles of wives and moms. In other words, I don't want to talk about our moms in regards to how they raise their children or even their relationship with their children necessarily. What I want to talk about is the role of our moms in leadership. The roles of our moms are As you guys know, our uh, our Methodist tradition recognizes our women <coughs> and our mothers as leaders in our church. <coughs> We've done this for many many years, many many decades, and there's a reason that other traditions don't. Other traditions uh, will not allow that. For, you know, they they'll take certain scriptures out of the Bible and uh, uh, that, that Paul wrote and use that as a basis for not allowing women leadership, we tend to look at it a little bit differently. We, look, we, see, we see strong leadership in the early church. We see examples throughout the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, where women were clearly church leaders, where the women served in pastoral roles, where women were evangelists, where women were, were deacons. Jesus Christ himself commissioned the first evangelist. Do you all realize that? Who happened to be two women when he told them to go tell others that he was risen. Easter season. That was a direct commission from Christ himself. The first evangelists we ever had were, were two women. Here's something else that I learned in, uh, as a matter of fact, I just learned it yesterday. <clears throat> I, was taking a, I have to take, <laughs> regularly Regularly, I have to take ongoing classes, and this is something I learned in the class yesterday. Have y'all ever heard of the, uh, the biblical characters of um, Priscilla and Aquila? Y'all know who they are? By any chance? Some of you nodding your head, some of, some of you not so much. Yeah, they're kind of, uh, they're not the, you know, the most well-known names in the Bible, but they are in the Bible multiple times. Uh, mul- <coughs> Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla being the wife, Aquila being the husband, were an early Christian married couple. And they're mentioned, like I said, several times in the New Testament. Uh, six times, as a matter of fact, you find them mentioned in the, in the NT and in four different books. What's interesting, when you read about Priscilla and Aquila, in all of these instances, in four of these instances, Priscilla's name is mentioned first, before her husband's name. In other words, it's always, four out of six times, it's Priscilla and Aquila. Anytime the author writes that. Well, what in the world does that have to do with anything, Jerry? In early Christian tradition, in early Christian writings, when people, when they would write the names of couples... The person who was listed first was always considered to be either the leader in the home, the spiritual leader in the home, or the one who, who, who uh, resembled most that of a leader of a church leader and a disciple. So when you read about Priscilla and Aquila in the Bible, there's a reason that her name is mentioned first, because she was recognized even by Paul, who again, some people take some of what Paul said to, uh, to deny women church leadership it means that she was obviously the leader in that that particular home. And I just think that was a cool little thing to to point out. The Old Testament is filled, filled with stories of wonderful moms of great faith who did great and wonderful things. Wives, mothers who were heroes of the faith. Think back to some of the Bible stories that we learned in Sunday school. Maybe we think of Sarah, who was the mother of Isaac and Rebecca. Yeah, Isaac and Rebecca. <clears throat> or mother of Isaac, maybe we think of Rebecca, I'm sorry, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. The story of Hannah is another gorgeous story in the in the Old Testament. She, of course, was the mom of the prophet Samuel. These stories are of strong women and strong leaders of faith, and they are abounding, even before Jesus came. They are abounding throughout the Old Testament. I want to take a look at just a couple examples uh, for just a few minutes. Golly, it's get late already. Um, had some examples in the New Testament that also give us evidence of this, where the Apostle Paul specifically honors mothers as champions of the faith. He honors mothers as champions of, Christ, of the early Christian music, and he honors them for their ability and for their, their, their role and their part in spiritually forming him and others. Some of y'all may remember that Timothy was, a, uh, was kind of kind of Paul's protege. Paul wrote a couple of letters that we're aware of that are in the New Testament. First to Timothy that are in the New Testament. And that's, of course, his 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Well, in the beginning of his second letter to Timothy, Paul writes these words. And this is at the very beginning. It's like 2 Timothy 1.5, I believe. He says to Timothy, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, And in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Timothy was evidently greatly influenced in his faith. And he was molded in his character clearly by his mother and by his grandmother. And Paul recognizes this. He he, he recognizes it so much that he actually notates it in a book that has existed in our church for over 2,000 years. That's how important it was for him to mention that If Paul called out moms and if Paul called out grandmothers for their strength, their wisdom, and for their abilities, certainly, certainly in 2022, shouldn't we do the same for our women and for our moms who clearly do the same thing for us in our personal lives, in our homes, and in our churches? Have you ever had one of those? you ever had a mom or a mother figure who helped you in your walk with God? Or in your growth in your faith? Have you ever had someone in that role who has been with you through thick and through thin, through the ups and downs, who has strengthened your own character through their love, through their compassion, through their instruction? Maybe you are that person, or maybe you have been that person or that mother figure. Whatever the case, these moms are to be praised for their guidance, for their love, for their compassion, for their Christian leadership. Again, from the Apostle Paul as he is wrapping up uh, the great theological book of Romans. Over in Romans 16, you'll find Paul giving this list of people, and he's basically saying, you know, give greetings to such and such, give greetings to such and such. In other words, say hi to such and such. Here is a, 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 a out-of-the-way out verse that you would never even think to give a second glance. Because it's just, kind of, it's just kind of there. But listen to what Paul says. Listen to what Paul writes as he, as he is giving these concluding greetings at the end of Romans chapter 16. It's verse 13. He says, greet, greet or say hi to Rufus, who is chosen in the Lord, and to his mother, who has also been a mother to me. That may not seem like it's got a lot of significance on the surface. And again, that's probably why you would just skip over that and not think twice about it. But let me give you some background on this. First of all, this is coming from the mouth of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, the man attributed to writing half of the New Testament, arguably the most well-known figure in Christianity outside of Jesus Christ himself, he refers to this person... Named Rufus, he refers to his mother as one that he considers to be a majorly motherly influence in his own life and in his own faith. Now, let me give you the deeper background of that because this carries a lot of gravity with it. You need to know who this guy Rufus was. anybody anybody know who Rufus was, by any chance? Now, nah, most of us most of us wouldn't know. It's just that's not one of those major Bible characters. Rufus was the son of a guy by the name of Simon of Cyrene. Anybody recognize that name? Alright, y'all remember when Jesus was headed to the crucifixion, there was a guy that stopped and he helped him carry his cross. That guy's name was Simon of Cyrene. Rufus was his son. He was one of of two sons that we're aware of anyway. Simon volunteered to carry Jesus' cross before while he was on his way to be crucified. According to uh, one author that I read while I was preparing for the sermon, you know, it's very, very possible that Simon was changed by this experience. You know, maybe he went home. Maybe he shared the power of that moment with his wife, who then shared it with his sons. Maybe at some point, we don't know when, but all of a sudden, Paul just kind of comes into the picture. We'll never know how they met Paul, but she undoubtedly had a major influence on his faith. It's very possible, it's very possible, though we don't know this for certain, that the great Apostle Paul may have learned about the final moments of his Lord from this woman. Apostle Paul went there. Apostle Paul wasn't even close to being a Christian at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. It's very possible that he learned about this from this woman whose husband was the man that carried the Lord's cross. She was like a mother to him, he says. Whatever it meant for Paul, we should probably be thankful for this woman today. Without knowing who he would eventually become, she was a mother to the most significant convert in the history of Christianity. God uses motherhood in our women for some strong and powerful moments, some strong and powerful things. Our last New Testament reference that I want to give you on motherly leadership, motherhood in general is, is uh, probably the most obvious you know God chose a woman God chose a woman named Mary and he chose the institution Kevin Milne of pregnancy to save the world God chose the womb a mother's womb as his tool for the salvation of the human race Think about that. Here's here's another another thing that was pointed out to me this week. You know, we live in an age and we live in a culture where sex is praised and sex is revered. Gender is confused. (coughs) And motherhood, a lot of times, is mocked or scorned. But God didn't use sex to save the world. He used gender. He used pregnancy. He used Mom. God used a female gender and a mother in pregnancy to save the world. He could have done this in any possible way that he wanted to. I'm sure, I'm sure God is chock full of ideas. This is how he chose to save us. Motherhood. Motherhood. He honored pregnancy. And he honored motherhood in a way that our culture oftentimes fails to do so today. He bypassed what our culture tends to worship in sex. And he used what our culture oftentimes scorns as being unimportant, motherhood. Moms deserve to be honored by us. God honored them. God honored you all with the incarnation of Christ himself. Our moms deserve to be honored. Our moms deserve to be loved. Revered even. As leaders in our homes and leaders in our churches. Our grandmothers, our soon-to-be moms. Those of you who are not natural moms, but you serve in a motherly role. All of us parents, actually. We are all missionaries in this world. We're all missionaries in our homes. The great call, the great commission to go and to make disciples starts In our homes. In our homes. We are the spiritual leaders of our homes, folks. Sometimes it is the man, sometimes it is the woman. Sometimes the man's weak, sometimes the man ain't up to the task. Clearly, we have strong female leaders present in the history of Christianity in homes that we find in the Bible. People like Lois, people like Eunice, his grandmother, mother, people like the person who served as the Apostle Paul's foster mother, so to speak. We have the greatest responsibility in the world to make sure that our children are formed as disciples. It starts with me. It starts with you and your influence. You know, That's what my mom did for me anyway. <clears throat> and I assume and I'm going to believe that a lot of your mothers served the same role <clears throat> in guiding you spiritually forming serving in that role and watching you grow in your faith over the years. Even through all of our ups and downs, even through all of our crises, even through when we were not our best selves to say the least. At least my mom did. She was my standard for faith. She was what I looked up to. She modeled it. She lived it. She didn't just talk it. And even though I disappointed her time after time after time after time again, ultimately, it worked out. She never got to see me be a preacher. It's so one thing I regret, but I know that she knows that, and I know that she's she's pretty happy about it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to open up the altar for prayer for whatever reason you guys might need to come up here if you just want to come pray and and uh, seek God. You know, for what for whatever reason you might have. Uh, I want to open up the altar for y'all to do that. But I want to do something else a little bit different this morning as well. While these folks are coming to pray, I want you guys to stand up. And if you're not here, stand up now. <laughs> and if you're not here with your mom, if you are here with your mom or your grandmother, I want you to grab them. If you're not here with your mom or your grandmother or a family member, I want you to seek out a mother in the congregation. Okay, I want you to seek out a mother in the congregation and I want you to grab her hand and I want you to pray for her. I'm serious as a heart attack about this, folks. Don't be nervous about it. This is what we do. This is what we're called to do as the church is pray for one another. I want you to grab that lady's hand and I want you to thank God for her. I want you to thank God for the leadership that she's exhibited throughout her life. I want you to thank God for everything that she has been in that role as a Christian model for you or for, or for whoever just offer her offer God a prayer of thanks for her and say a prayer of peace over her life a prayer of guidance please do that